1: The Hello and welcome to Move, a podcast which is hosted by me, Jamie Lang, and my business partner, Ed Williams. Now, in 2012, Ed and I founded our confectory business, Candy Kittens, a business which I'd actually dreamed of having ever since I was six years old. And honestly, we wouldn't have achieved half of what we've been able to without all the amazing tips and advice we picked up along the way. Move stands for Motivation, Opportunity, Vision, Entrepreneurship. And each episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the stories of founders, innovative thinkers, entrepreneurs and winners who show us all what's possible with hard work and focus. So whatever you're moving towards, we hope today's guests will open your eyes to what you can achieve. This is MOVE. Hello, lovely people, and welcome
2: to the very first episode of MOVE. Ed, give us a little whoop whoop. Whoop whoop. Oh, <laughs> I'm so excited. We did it, buddy. We did we it. We did it. We're here. We finally made it. Uh, why don't you intro our first guest? With pleasure. So... What an awesome, awesome guest we've got to kick things off. None other than the absolutely amazing
1: Joe Malone CBE. Now, Joe is an incredible person. Uh, she grew up in a council house in Bexley Heath in Kent. She had severe dyslexia and left school without any qualifications, but still went on to create businesses like Joe Malone London and Joe Loves. Not only did she overcome so many things in her life, she also overcame cancer, which is an incredible story in itself. An inspiring, wonderful, glorious person to have on the podcast. So true. I mean, some of those challenges that I
2: think Joe has overcome, it's probably fair to say, for, for most people, would be the end of the road. But actually, Joe's approach to life, her energy, and, and Positivity, general outlook, is
1: just so inspiring. But also, Ed, she's such a good storyteller. Great you know, storyteller. We the, could sit there and talk to her for hours and hours. But the whole point of the podcast is for people to inspire, to be inspired, for people to go out there and follow their dreams. And Joe, when did that? She did exactly that. Um, I'm really excited about this. I'm so happy we're launching with Joe. Um, Ed, why don't you kick off the podcast,
2: ladies and gentlemen? Joe Malone, CBE, on move.
3: So, how are you? I'm in a really good, happy place, thank you. I think I've probably, I'm probably at the, the most happiness I've ever been for a very long time.
1: It's funny, though, because uh, a lot of people, you know, when we were younger, right, we always talk about, we speak about this a lot, Ed, is how if you had a wish, you would wish to be a footballer or be the most famous person. But actually, as you grow up, all you would wish for is happiness. And I think that's the most important thing in life.
3: I agree with that. Absolutely. A hundred and ten percent. I think we sometimes we think that happiness comes from another person or an or the greatest job or having money or having success. being It doesn't. Happiness comes from that sense of when you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, well done, girl. You know what? You did it. And I mean, I'm a woman in my 50s. I've, I've come through a lot of different hurdles in life, just like all of us do. But I've come to that point of realising that the moment is what really counts. Right now, right at this moment, living in this moment is what really counts. And... Um, uh, yeah, I'm proud I survived.
1: It's interesting you say that, right? Because I heard this thing the other day that someone said that the past is uh, for feeling sad. The future is for anxiety. Can't change the past. So it just makes you upset if you try and change it. The future is about anxiety because you don't know what's going to happen. So you can't predict it. So it's going to make you anxious. And actually being living in the present and being happy with mm-hmm. where you are is the most important process that you have to actually learn and be able to do within yourself.
3: I think, I think the things that happen to us, we learn from the past we learn the things that we want to do or that we don't want to do. The future is about. I mean, I'm always dreaming about the future. I visualize it, I, and I walk towards that goal and that dream. But today is the path that I get to that dream. So I have to put one foot in front of the other. And um, I, and I think today is the day to celebrate. Today is the day to work hard. The day is today is right now. And I, I've tried really hard in the last few years to live in the moment. And I think my biggest lesson as I was growing up and coming through was I didn't celebrate the moment. I was always so intent on getting to the next level and do the next thing, I forgot to celebrate the moment. And in the last couple of years, I've really learned that that is, like as a company on a Friday, we gather everyone together and we have what's called Pink Friday and we have a glass of rose and we have lunch together. Can we celebrate <laughs> just for 20 minutes? Can we celebrate yeah. the moment? And you know what it, it what it does is it brings a sense of purpose, family, and a sense of celebration.
1: Amazing. I think that's so key, right? And that sense of purpose, right? That's what I think uh, I sort of had to figure out growing up is that having a sense of purpose is actually what makes you happy. Um, and I feel like you, ever since you were younger, you always sort of had a purpose and you always had a sort of drive and ambition to do things. And what were you like growing up?
3: What were you like as a child? So I didn't have a purpose in in the beginning. Did you not? My purpose was maybe, it was to survive. Mm -hmm. I came from a council estate, two up, two down. I came from two, uh, I had two parents who were amazing, but very creative. And I was the adult from the age of 11. So it was up to me to make sure that there was, we used to have gas and electric meters under. And I know I don't look that old, but (laughs) we really did. And you used to put coins in to get gas and electric. And I remember I would always hide money around the house to ensure that if there was nothing, I could put the gas and the light on and cook something. Um, So my purpose was to survive. And I remember as a young, I remember a really powerful moment in my life. I was standing in my bedroom and it had been um, snowing outside and there was all... It didn't have central heating either. Sound like hoversad, <laughs> like don't I? Yeah. And I'd scraped the ice off of the, off of the window and I was looking out and I promised myself, and I must have been about 10, 11, I promised myself that I would get out of that life and I would never return. And no matter what I had to do to get myself out of that, I would find a way. And I, and I can remember that moment. And I often think back to that little girl and think, if you had known at that moment where you'd go on to. Where, so my purpose was yeah. to get myself out of that situation.
1: But it was interesting because, um, and you sort of been open about this, you know, your mum was a beautician. Um, isn't isn't that right? And your mm-hmm. dad was an artist, yes. And you grew up in this council estate. And as you said, your mum fell very sick, and your dad, uh, he was. You said he was a gat. Is that right? He was a gambler. a gambler. And so you did. You had to become an adult from a very yeah. young, uh, from a teenage age, which mm. meant that you missed out on all of those years of growing up, having fun, developing mm. as a child, and doing all those different adventures. But do you think that taught you discipline and taught you how to? you know, run life and understand what you have to do to get places and showed you a sense of, right, in order for me, as you said, as that child sitting by the window watching the snow outside and going, I'm going to get out of here. Did that give you your drive to start Mm. becoming an entrepreneur, start your business and start your brand?
3: Yes, I think think one of the great things I believe in life is nothing is wasted. And it doesn't matter who we are and where we come from, eventually, eventually, life will roll out and you'll see the purpose of it all. And I, and you don't, as a child, you don't choose, do you? I think as a young, a little girl, I learned more in life what I didn't want than what I did want. Now, when you're a child, you just, you know, you imagine, you dream. And so your life is all about very positive things. Mine was slightly different where I knew what I didn't want. So I kind of narrowed that down and thought I don't want to gamble. I've never gambled in my life because mm-hmm. I watched my father literally play poker and gamble away everything. But he was a he was a genius man as well. He was a brilliant <laughs> artist and a magician and I adored who he was. Um and my mum was just, she was hopeless with money. So I have never in my life been in debt. Mm. Um, I understand the responsibility. I was a carer from the age of 11, 12 years old. It was up to me. You know, I remember the time when, when the doctor said, Your mum is going to go into a home and you and your sister need to go into care. And I talked my way out of that situation. I can't remember what I said now, but whatever it was. So
2: you were selling even back then at 11. You were I, kind of yeah, in I, sales I mode together. I was out of about
3: 12, 12, 13 and I was uh, you know quite savvy. Yeah. Um, but,
1: but, but, but geez, I, sorry, do you, do you know what's interesting? You're 12, 13 years When I was 12, 13, years old I was saying I don't want to eat peas with my shepherd's pie I mean that's literally how what I was doing I had no idea about life I uh, had no idea you know I didn't know how to change my bed you know I was very kind of in a put into a place where everything was done for me and uh, you know incredibly privileged and all these kind of things and being 12 13 I consider that so young but to have to take control of life Mm. that must be really hard but at the time maybe didn't realise that.
3: No, I don't I don't regret. If I had my life all over again, I wouldn't I wouldn't change any of that. I really wouldn't. It made me who I am. Um and I had and I've always found my glass has always been half full in my life, always, always. And I don't think there's anything wrong in being, I mean, the way I've raised my family is very similar to the way you've grown up. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong in that. You know, I love being a mum, I love making the bed and cooking Friday night dinner and Sunday lunch and all of those things and I wouldn't want my son to grow up in the way that I did but the reality reality is we are who we are we're born into a family and a world and we have to pick up it's it is like a bit like a poker game when you think about mm-hmm. it you're given a, a round of cards and it's up to you to play that round and you can bluff your way through or you know that you've got you know royal flush in your hand and all of that so. I played the cards that were given me and I made the very best out of those and I would I appreciated creativity I think that's been a really big part of my life. Um, I appreciated it my father and I learned how to tell stories and so I knew how to sell something I think that probably and I think you do as well. <laughs> you, without it it doesn't matter where we come from. So the first thing I sold was paintings and then I bought t-shirts and I did designs on them and I sold those and I made face creams I learned from my mom I would watch and um, what, what no one realized when I was at school, I'm severely dyslexic. So they told me I was lazy and stupid. I was neither one of those things. And I knew it. But I couldn't learn like everybody else. So I had to find my means of communication, my language. And and I found that when I sold something, something happened to me inside. I found purpose, that word again. I found I was motivated, and I knew that it gave me the power to get out of the situation I was in. And when you talk to entrepreneurs, that's often the moment—whether you're Ralph Lauren selling tires from the back of your car, or you know somebody sitting in a marketplace—you have that power because you think, "I've got something," and it becomes a currency.
0: And that's I think it's what really happens.
2: interesting how overlooked that kind of sales power is. And um, for me, it's very kind of. Uh, hits a chord. I grew up around my dad. My dad always had his own shop and, and was the most amazing salesperson and still is. He still works in the shop today. And the buzz that you can kind of see, he sells menswear oh. and the buzz that you see in his face and his mm. eyes light up when he's got that sale and he can see he's got someone. It's just the most amazing thing. And loads of people come to work for us at Candy Kittens and kind of almost there's a, a negative stigma attached to being a salesperson. I think it's kind of got that. You think because of salespeople, you think of sort of dodgy car salesmen and mm. estate mm. agents and everything. But Pushy. the power that has, mm. I think, is, yeah, really the power of persuasion is quite important for an well, entrepreneur. It,
3: it, yeah, and it opens up so many different avenues for you. You know, if you can sell something, you can do a lot of different things. You don't have to be sitting on that sales floor or sitting on a telephone. Yeah. You can You can sell your, your idea to the bank, you know, if you... I mean, let, let's go back to being great storytellers, truthful storytellers.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think that being, uh, you know, you are an amazing storyteller. And that's, so, that's such a great quality to have because we live in a day and age now that a lot of people don't communicate and they look on their phones and they don't chat to one another and all these different things. And it's so interesting you said about dyslexia because I, I, exactly the same. I was told I was stupid. I wasn't clever. I was disruptive in school, all those different things. And do you think you're... You know, your, As you said, your dad was an artist, your mum was a beautician, um, you were dyslexic, and normally when people are dyslexic, they normally have a more creative mind. They have mm. to sort of find different avenues, as you said, to be able to do something else. And all of those combined sort of drove you probably towards your sort of creation and creating your brands that you've created. Do you think, though, becoming an entrepreneur was uh, to find a purpose, that word again, or to be validated by other people to say, look, I'm not stupid, I can make this happen? Or was it to escape the world that you were in?
3: All three of those, I think. I I mean, even, even listening to you say that, I've never looked at it as proving... I believe that we are defined by our own dreams and often people define themselves, especially young people today, by other people's opinions of them. I mean, social media as wonderful it is, as it is, is as destructive as it is wonderful. And so you read something about yourself and you think, well, that's who I am. Well, that's not necessarily who you are. You are your own dreams. You should define yourself. And I think in that beginning, I could have allowed that situation, standing on my chair in that classroom, being told in front of everybody, I was lazy and stupid. And, I, and there's, there's, a, there's a single moment where my sock drifted down my leg, and I can remember it, I can remember the feel of it, and the humiliation. I could have allowed that to define me. That was someone else's opinion. They had no idea this jewel that lay within me. And I believe dyslexia was this incredible ability to think differently. I don't believe, it's never been a disability for me. I still can't tell my left from my right. I can't fill out a form, I can't. If you ask me to read something, I would struggle. Letters move around on the page. But I had something that no one else, I had a sense of smell that was going to change the world. And young people today need to realize everybody has that jewel, everybody. You just have to find it.
1: I couldn't agree more. I have this big theory that every single person has a superpower. It's just about finding what your superpower is. And it's so true to a lot of the young people who be listening to this. Um, you know, they will be struggling in different areas and, and make sure that doesn't define you. Because uh, you, when you're in that situation, like you said, as you were that little girl with the sock falling down, you were humiliated in front of all of your class. That doesn't define you at all. But at the moment, you think it does. And that's sort of a sort of scary yeah. moment. Mm. But you were then, so you grew up in this cancer state. You had uh, your mum and dad, your mum felt very ill. You then decided to go and follow your sense of smell. And you wanted to go and create these sort of bath oils and smells and fragrances and things like that how did you even begin to do that because as we know very well even in the current climate of you know education no one teaches about being an entrepreneur <laughs> they teach you latin and geography and geology which i got a u in who cares about geology I least you got a u i didn't <laughs> yeah, get anything who cares about geology but you you saw something and you knew something how did you get to that place and how did you begin everything
3: So I started my first uh, skincare clinic, and I was I was my early twenties. I was newly married, I'd married Gary. Gary is a huge part of my success, by the way. Everyone always thinks it's me. It never it's never you on your own. It, he was a huge part of it. But anyway, that's a, that's a, another story. But I'd watched because of my dyslexia. I watch and I mimic, and I my ma- my memory is really good, really so careful, really good. <laughs> uh, and I'd watched. And I had this ability to touch a, a face cream. I mean I'd made face creams from the age of seven years old. I knew the so I'd done chemistry, but I this I'd done is something it,
2: that growing up with your mum yeah. and
3: yeah, okay. And Madame Lubati, so who taught my mum. Yeah, so we want to she talk was a, about that. she that was an amazing, amazing woman. But she taught me how to touch something and smell, so she encouraged that sense of smell. And I knew how to put things together. I, I'm I'm not a perfumer. I'm not I didn't do all the years of training, but I My senses are all muddled, so I see color and I smell something. And so I've used that ability to think differently to build something that changed the world. And bath oils, in the beginning when I first created fragrance, I didn't have a spirit license, so I couldn't put it into alcohol. I did try with vodka one day, I remember, (laughs) with a bottle. Um, And uh, so I could put it into oils and I could put it into lotions. And I would sell them. And, and that, you know, that single moment. So I was running the skincare clinic and the clients that would come and they were the good and the great of the world. And they would, um, I'd give them a little bottle of or to say thank you. And it was the moment that just So flipped. rewind
2: just a little bit there, You're, you set up your own skincare clinic. Yeah. How did you kind of go about that?
3: Um, I had 10 clients to begin with because I'd grown up in that environment. So yep. I knew, you know, I'd, I knew how to massage. And that was I knew in London? To, yes, I rented a tiny little apartment. We had just enough money for one month's rent. And the uh, the woman I was renting it from said, no, I need three months and six months deposit. And I said, "Just, I just don't have it. And I managed to talk her around. And I said, I give you my word, I'll never be late. And as soon as I have the money, I'll pay it. And I did And I stayed there. In fact, I still own it today. I couldn't part with it. But we moved in. We had no money for furniture or curtains. It was just a massage bed. Two, two boxes of plastic bottles, four plastic jugs, a saucepan, oils, and fragrances, and about 12 clinic sheets, and that's how I started. 10 clients.
1: It's just unbelievable, <laughs> that's sweetie really, but did you have, I suppose, when you were doing something that did you have a vision? Because everyone always says, right, in life, you need to have a destination, you work your way back from there. You know, you didn't, did you have a destination? Did you know where you wanted to go? Or was it just you just going, right, I know I have the sense of smell. I know what I love and I'm interested in. And I'm just going to go with it? Or was it kind of just you had to
3: find your feet as you went? No, I, I had no strategy or five-year plan. I had a five-minute plan probably, which was always to get to the end of the week and be able to pay the rent. I think because of my upbringing and my background, I was really scared of debt. Mm-hmm. So I never wanted to owe money to anybody. But what I did, do, what it's in the book, but um, I actually inherited my mother's debt, which was thousands and thousands of pounds, which I had to pay off at the same time. And, and again, you know, sometimes people look at people who are successful and think, oh, they've got it all, they had it so easy. I'm telling you, I didn't. But I honoured. I shook my hand and I said, I promise you. And it was 450 pounds every single month, which is why we never had any money, to put down as a deposit because I was paying off her debt. It was 30,000 pounds. I mean it was I was that's twen- a huge
1: amount back then. I mean and, and that is a huge also, amount now. Yeah. yeah, it's a huge amount now for sure, but you know even you know you were in your 20s then and so that was, you know, and so, so it's 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 a huge amount of money like I said now, but also paying your rent, paying that, trying to start a business, trying to run everything else and I never borrowed a penny.
3: I never borrowed right. a penny. But, so,
1: but that is what is so interesting as well, because I think that when anyone goes into a business or starts a brand, uh, they, the biggest thing they worry about is money and how they're going to start it. And And money is oxygen, because unfortunately, we live in a world where you need money in business in order to breathe. And... Why were you so adamant?
3: Not necessarily.
1: Not necessarily. Well, you, you, you so counter me, but how mm. come? Because normally what my understanding is, and I think the biggest struggle that we had at Candy Kittens, um, was the fact that we were always trying to find money because we kept running out of it. Mm. And that was our bigger is- issue. Mm. And I thought that when we first went into it seven, eight years ago, you would sell a suite or you'd sell a T-shirt. That would bring you money and then you could go from there. But that wasn't the case. Mm. But with your story, you were always so aware that you never wanted to borrow anything. And was that because you were so worried about losing other
3: people's money? Or was it was just being in debt, as you said. Being in debt. I mean, really? I think after I cleared that debt, and I've, I've still got the letter from the bank that said, this debt is is over. And, and the man who, who was the bank manager at the time is, is I sat and had a, a glass of wine with him the other day. And he said, God, I, I can't believe that you did that. But I did. And that and that was, and I think still for me, there is that feeling, like when you're growing a business, for instance, when you start out in the beginning and you have this little pool of money and you do so much with it, then you get bigger and more successful. And suddenly you need more money for a little bit of success. It never makes quite that much sense to me. And we need a bigger team to do that. It's like you don't always need that. You just need to think differently. And often people, when they're starting a business and they're getting to that point where they need investment. They will sell part of the equity of their company way before they need to. Your equity is your inheritance of your future. And they will sell part of the equity for the money that is just going to get them through six months to a year. Then they get through that year and then they think to themselves, now we need a bit more. And you've sold too much of your inheritance in the beginning. So, what I would say is, and and listen, with Joe Loves, we're at that point of what do we do now? Do we partner with somebody? Do we? But I'm at a point where my inheritance is 100% mine. And as we move forward, I know what I'm prepared to give away in order for some form of investment, whatever that, that is, or partnership or whatever. But never, ever, ever think that money is the answer to grow your business. It's not
1: It's really interesting. I think that's such a key point to understand for our listeners is that um, equity is cheap. And that's why people can give it away because they go, well, I'll give you this equity for this money. But you can never get that back. And Mm. that's what my stepfather, uh, you know, my mentor and Ed's, you know, and Ed's one of Ed's people who's, who's sort of driven our business. He's always said with equity, keep hold of it, because as you said, very rightly, it's your inheritance, it's what's valuable at the end of it. And if you give it away, you can never get it back. And perhaps you go through these tricky times, but make sure you keep hold of it. What I suppose that uh, where you sort of grew worldwide fame is Joe. what is now Joe Malone London. Mm. And you used your name when you set up that brand. Do you think that why did you choose to use your own name?
3: I didn't. I, I, I have to, I, I'd to. like to say I was really smart, clever, and I wasn't. It was, that was the name of, that was me and everything I did. So when I did my little Pronto print labels of, uh, in the beginning, it just had my name on it. So it was, it felt completely natural. I never assumed in a million trillion years, five years after opening that first shop, I was going to sell to the biggest global corporation in the world. And then lessened here. None of us have a crystal ball. None of us can tell what's going to happen in the future. I didn't know I was going to sell it and sell my name and all the things that were going to happen from that. You know, I was just, I was just created. I never, never dreamed it would be as successful as it was. But this is such a lesson. When you do use your name with a brand, there are, you do have to think of the long term. Now, now I've come through it. I can hand back the wisdom of the things that I learned you do have to think: What if I solve my business one day? Because your name is part of that. So part of me will always belong to Estee Lauder, the brand that I built. And we've both now, you know, come through that that time. You know, starting another brand, doing it all over again. But I'm still Joe. I'm very used to it now. But after I left, I lost my identity completely. I didn't know who I was, where I was going, who was I, who, who was I, and. That is a a really thing. So if you attach your name to your brand, you have got to realize if you sell it or part of it, that person will own part of you forever.
2: I think that's a really kind of important one because so many people when they're starting out in the business think, oh, that's the idea. I'm going to go and sell this. I'm going to make millions and that's going to be me. And then I'll be happy going back to the kind of first point we talked about. But I've heard you talk before, Joe, about how you felt when you sold the business Mm. and that kind of moment and perhaps... It isn't that kind of big pot of gold that everybody thinks about. Uh,
3: No, no, when I sold the business, you know, I remember that day when I sold it. And uh, the first thing I thought was, oh, I can buy a double bed because we were still (laughs) sleeping on a piece of blue foam. Uh, It was happy. It was those five years when we were, when I was working and and cancer, you know, when that curveball came into my life, that changed me. Obviously, I was 38 years old. Um, And then when I left the brand, that was the bit. So, I handed in my notice. Everyone tried to talk me round. No, 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 no. And I was, I was completely sure I was making the right decision. The run up to the days as I was leaving, I knew I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. And I was the, I didn't tell anybody. I was eaten up with regret. And I asked to be the last person to turn the key in the, in the shop in Sloane Street and put the bottles. And I sobbed, and I sobbed, and I sobbed. And I thought, what? And I was talking to myself, thinking. What have you done? You know, you've walked away. And I realised that the business was not a job. It was my best friend. Mm -hmm. I'd spent day in, day out with this brand. And I walked away and I had five years of a lockout. And it was the most, um, that's where I suffered a terrible breakdown, anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, I lost my purpose. I lost my personality. I thought I would never be Joe again. And I just didn't know who I was. Um, But do I regret the sale? No. I sold to a really great company who I love them and I love what I did. So I don't regret any of that. But I would sell my company very differently today if I was in the same shoes.
2: Jamie, bad news. That is the end of part one. What? I know, I know. We got there so quick. But don't fear, part two is coming right up, just one click away. So everybody that's listening, just go over and click part
1: two. thank you so much for listening honestly it really does mean a huge amount and we also hope today's podcast has inspired you to move towards your dream or passion now if you like the podcast please subscribe and leave us a comment and if you'd like to get in touch please email us at move at moveclub.co.uk or follow us on instagram at moveclub until next time this is move